know, there's one book that everybody keeps asking us to do, and we're doing it today. Congratulations, you got your wish. It's Catcher in the Rye Day on Required mm-hmm. Readcast. Um, many of you are probably like, hey, but we requested where the red fern grows, and how many times are we going to say we're not doing that book? I refuse, legitimately refuse. I'm Lauren Ballman. I'm Jessica Austin. And welcome to our first episode of the new year. Oh, yeah, we did the last one in 2019. It's season True. three, new year, new decade. Not really, if you're being a stickler. True. Like technically, the new decade well, starts. Technically, well, but it's still the 1920s, which makes me just <laughs> want to enjoy Gatsby all the more. I know. Can we go back to Gatsby now? We should have. We'll re-release that just because it's the 20s again. Yeah, but Gatsby does make an appearance in Catcher in the Rye in a little bit. So That's true, isn't that funny? Yeah. So, Are you uh, reading anything else besides? Everything has been put on hiatus as I go into rehearsal, so I am not reading anything that is not podcast or play related. Um, Jessica's a busy person, so no reading for the moment. I've been reading um, Ben Folds' book, and I what? love it so much. He's one of my favorite musicians of all time. Did he write it himself, or did he have a ghostwriter? Yes, and uh, it's called A Dream About Lightning Bugs, and it's a memoir, basically, but it's also just... Um, I mean, he's such a good lyricist, it's not too much of a surprise, I guess, that he's a good writer as well, but I've been really impressed by it. And then I paused it so that I could listen to Holden Caulfield bitch for a while. Well, bitch he does. Yeah, man. Although, I've got to say, this was quite a journey, because I reached a point in the middle where I wanted to set this book on fire, um, and I was wondering, why does everyone like it, and why did I used to like it? And then I got about three quarters of the way through and went, oh, right. And uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. What's your first journey with this book? Well, my first take on this, I I remember liking it when I read it in high school. And I was like, that's good. And I just kind of kept the copy around and picked it up every so often. Mm -hmm. But this, and between then and now, like I kind of got on the whole, the, periphery of the Holden Caulfield hate bandwagon because everyone like I was looking up uh, Lord Byron research a couple months ago and there was a podcast called Fuck Boys of Literature <laughs> and their, their pilot episode which I didn't listen to at the time was about Holden Caulfield and mm. I was like yeah what a privileged little teenage asshole um, and had just kind of been get, you know getting the memes and all the, the Holden Caulfield hate so I was ready to turn up my nose at this book and I fucking loved it because uh, people are very passionate about their feelings of Holden Caulfield, which is probably why we've, of those of you who request things from us, it's probably one of the reasons why it's this book. Um, he's a very identifiable character, like a hugely identifiable character in literature. Yeah, and this book, I thought in particular, was a great example of voice rather than story. Mm. I'm more interested in what Holden has to tell me and the way he digresses, if you will, um, into the just into these sidebars like I, that's kind of the kind of storytelling that I find interesting and right. when he's telling that to like Mr. Antolini or whatever like about the digression Ooh. section Ooh. or maybe mm, mm, or not more, maybe more not. stuff later yeah uh, but I was like I love his narrative voice and I'm more interested in the way he follows the interesting thing in the stories than you know a progression of narrative and I do kind of feel like maybe more so than any other book, because I know I've said this before and we've commented on it of how your perspective can change on a book when we read it in high school or college versus now as an adult, but I feel like this one in particular is a huge shift for me mm-hmm. in the way that I identified or not with Holden when I was actually a teenager or in college versus now. Um, there were just times where it was it was very hard 
to be in his mindset for me anyway. Um, as opposed to when I read it before and was like, oh yeah, this guy's awesome. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just couldn't go with the blanket of awesomeness, but I definitely see things that seem to me to be subtle that I was like, I know this kid. I understand this kid. Well, Maybe it, I am this kid. <laughs> when you do, well, and that's true. I do feel like when, and it happened for me this time around, when you really do connect with the obviously very deep level of hurt that he is experiencing from a couple of pretty significant incidents in his past that that this is all coming out of that and when you really recognize that it's I did feel for him tremendously for sure I have a heart you do yeah I could see through the bitching and realize like he's a deeply hurt kid yeah um, and nobody's really paying attention to it nobody's really helping him and nobody's trying to to see why he's so upset which i think speaks a lot to the time period too this was not an age of like oh tell us your troubles child it's more of a get over it move on kind of a situation yeah but we'll, we'll like, get into all of that well, stuff I'm like sure, phoebe but. tells him when he comes home oh, she's yeah. like dad's gonna kill you yeah. And you're like, no, nobody's going to ask you, why are why are you failing out of school after your brother died? Right. Nobody's asking that question. It's just a man up. You should be be one of these strapping young lads. And he's unable to do that. And he's so young. I think that that's the other thing, too, is there's moments where it almost feels like he's even in college because of some of the, thing, the way he acts and some of the things he does. And there's moments where I had to remind myself, he's a 17-year-old kid when he's... It's 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 still pretty young to be dealing with a lot of this shit. But anyway. Anyway, um, official summary of Catcher in the Rye. Okay. Um, so one of the official summaries I found of Catcher in the Rye was 17-year-old Holden Caulfield lives in an unspecified institution in Southern California in either 1949 or 1950. He's reflecting on his life um, for a couple of days the previous Christmas. Um, he begins his story at Pensy Preparatory Academy in Agerstown, Pennsylvania at the age of 16 in 1948-49, and it's at the point where he has been expelled due to poor work and is not allowed to return after Christmas break. So then we're seeing that day and into the next day. I think this book only spans like two days of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the key thing is, and it can be really easy to miss in just that first page of he is, this is a reflection. This is him um, in an institution or whatever he's in now, um, <laughs> well, I writing think I about to, this time. I think I have to take issue with whoever wrote that because I've read the same summary and that's the one we had over breakfast where I'm not going to lie to you guys. I just read the last three pages of this book um, right before we started recording. <laughs> I read it and read it and read it and then I could not get it finished before Lauren and I went to breakfast it this morning. You guys, we are reading entire books for you, for your pleasure. Um, so we're at we're at breakfast, and I was like, "So this summary I'm reading, Lauren, <laughs> it says he's in an institution. Did you get that?" And she's like, "It's in the last three pages." And I was like, "Aha!" Yeah, because well, it's, before we get into that, what would your tweet length summary be? My tweet length summary would be traumatized teenager wanders the cold winter streets of New York in a rad hat. <laughs> Mine would be everyone and everything's a goddamn phony. <laughs> a crummy um, phony. A crumb bum phony. Um, 
but yeah, when this book starts, you only get the first real like page and a half where they're dropping these subtle hints about if you really well, he, want to hear about it. Yeah, like if you really want to hear about it, you're like, oh, who's he talking to? Who is demanding his attention? And or excuse me, uh, demanding that he tell this story. And you know, upon first reading, you're just like, okay, great. He's he he's saying that to me, the reader. And me. he. And he does have a line of, I'll tell you about this madman stuff that happened to me around last Christmas just before I got pretty run down and had to come out here and take it easy. So they tell you that, but then that's about it as far as location. It's like, come out here and take it easy. Okay, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Hey, I don't want to go too Gatsby too fast, but... Because the movie of Gatsby had Nick in an insane asylum writing that. That's true. Was that present in the book? I can't remember. It's not. Okay, yeah. So it's just, I think it's interesting that they kind of snagged. That's kind of a, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. The loose framing device of Catcher in the Rye was applied to the Gatsby film. Is that Baz Luhrmann? That's all Baz Luhrmann. Well. Because that was in that version. Baz Luhrmann's a damn genius. Maybe that was his workaround of he's like, I will get the rights to Catcher in the Rye in a very subtle way. Yeah, because, well, (laughs) ain't nobody got the rights to this. No one. There have been. When we get to our portion where we normally have tons of things to talk about of what other versions of this has mm-hmm. there been, there are zero. Well, and that comes right up to onto author stuff like mm-hmm. right now because Salinger holds on to this pretty tight. Like he wrote Catcher in the Rye, um, started off as a short story. What was the name of the short story? Uh, uh, short story in 1941. He started Slight Rebellion it. off Madison. Yeah, he wrote that in 1941 for the New Yorker. Um, and from there, you know, he worked. He worked on it. I believe this was published serially in 45 and 46. Um, and then was published as a novel in 1951. So, so you can tell the character of Holden Caulfield is very close to him. Yeah, he's been spending a lot of time with it, with him. And I think there's something to be said that his name is J.D. Salinger and um, D.B. Caulfield, the writer out in Hollywood who sold out and is a phony, is a prominent character. And, to, and D.B. was in the war. J.D. Salinger was in the war. I, I get heavy J.D. D.B. vibes off of this book, and yeah, I don't think D.B. is uh, Holden's older brother. Yeah, thank you. Um, who he even mentions, you know, that DB in the later part comes to visit him a little bit. You 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 think that maybe their relationship is getting repaired some now that he's in this sanatorium or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's in California where DB is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he definitely talks a lot of trash about DB as the book goes on. Yeah. Is that JD Salinger's way of kind of slamming himself a little bit, or or who what he could be? Because like really DB. Wait, DB is a great writer, and, and in, in all their fancy prep schools that they go to, and like all of these teachers that Holden references talk about DB and how oh, Mr. Antolini so told yeah. him not to go write movies. He should somebody that's good a writer as DB shouldn't be in, a phony in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> Hollywood phonies. Hollywood, pho- but I feel like that might be Salinger's kind of. This could I could become like DB if I'm not careful. It's a cautionary tale oh, of his yeah. future, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And he stays away from that. Like JD Salinger doesn't. Go to Hollywood. He doesn't let no his move his books be made into movies. There's no audio book of this, which is my lazy no. person way of reading. You cannot. They there was even some talk of because Salinger he lived a very long life. He was born in 1919 and he lived till 2010. And so around the time he passed, I guess there was even more um, talk of okay, now we can start maybe trying to get the rights and creating an audiobook. But it was so closely guarded even in his will and there is no way that the rights to this are going to get cracked until they just become public domain in how a hundred years. years so i don't want it to be i i love the fact that this just lives as a book i don't need to see an actor play holding caulfield no i'll be honest 
Well, I really don't. And I, I, I like the way that we see the world through Holden's lens, and mm -hmm. I don't want to be looking at Holden on a movie. No, I no. want to be in his head. And I that's agree. Where we are. I think that's. I think that's a key part to why this book works mm -hmm. is because it is from his perspective, and you are looking at it through his eyes. And we talked a lot about how much of an unreliable narrator Holden might be. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, it's tough to tell. Like you get to the end of the book, and I still have questions of. Are there parts of this that he made up or embellished as a seventeen-year-old boy? Mm -hmm. um, but I think I think all of that comes from consuming it in a written way. I think seeing it in a movie would completely alter the way that the story is told. Yeah, I think it's, except for some very finely crafted movies like Fight Club, etc. Unreliable narrators are tricky to deal with. Yep. Because when you see a picture on film, you go, well, that is reality. I'm looking at the yes. reality of that image. This is a document of accuracy. Mm -hmm. But Holden is is embellishing, tweaking, viewing things through his teenage eyes. And he's looking back on it, too. Mm -hmm. He is recounting this. So there's already, like, the separation of time, plus however he might be as yeah. a person. Um, well, I think it's he when he's recounting it, it's probably... Um, a couple, just a couple months after this Christmas, because he's going to a new school in the fall, he says. Oh, okay, so, so it's maybe only a couple of months But removed. still a couple of months. That's and true. Also, he was shitty, or wasted on that night in yeah, New York, yeah. so he was drunk. Traumatized. He, traumatized. From past experiences that he hasn't dealt with, clearly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so at the top of the book, we, we find out he is writing this um, as a reflection in some unknown location mm -hmm. <laughs> that we gather is some sort of yeah. psychiatric institute or sanatorium. But that's hinted at at the top, and then it's cemented at the back. Exactly. Um, and he, uh, it's just before Christmas, he has gotten kicked out of the fourth school that he has now been expelled from, Pensy, and uh, that's a school, all-boys school in Pennsylvania, and he has not told his family yet. Um, and, uh, there's, you know, some scenes of stupid shit that happens in the dorm and with these two other guys, Ackley and Stradlater who live there and, um, all of that stuff. But basically Holden's coming up with this plan that, um, kids aren't going to be home from Christmas break until Wednesday. It's now what? Saturday. Um, he's decided he's going to leave early and just go into the city and kind of fuck around and have some time off before he goes home and in inevitably gets immensely chewed out for getting kicked out of another school. Well, and that's how you know it's definitely not uh, 2020. Because yeah. <laughs> the fact that he can get kicked out of school and he imagines the letter is going to arrive home on Wednesday, the same day he arrives home, and that he can just take a train to New York and chill mm -hmm. in the city for a couple days as a six, I guess... He's At married, the time, yeah. he would have been 16. Yep, yeah. as a 16-year-old child with some money in his pocket. Yeah, he's got like 20 bucks or something, and he's going to go stay at shitty hotels and, and go out and drink. And he does. Um, Holden has some patches of gray hair, which he talks about a lot, mm -hmm. and he's a, very, he's a very tall boy, so apparently that makes him appear older than he is. And he smokes. He's also a heavy, heavy smoker. So all of these things combined um, allow him to get drinks at bars and such. Yes. And it's actually that, that kind of stuff continually cracked me up, like the Will he or won't he get booze at this certain place? Yep. Some places will only serve him Cokes. Some places are like, fuck it, we don't care about IDs. It's 1946. No, or 48 or 49. No one cares. Are you at least 12? Here's your gin. <laughs> Can you drink not out of a straw? Here you go, kid. Um, 
So, but before he leaves, uh, there's got to be some random roughhousing and bullshit going on in the dorms, and that's when we meet some of the other boys who live there, and they are just, uh, boys. <laughs> well, they, 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 they exemplify Stradlatter and uh, Ackley are like the, these two social spheres that I think Holden talks about a lot. Because he mm. always talks about like the phonies and the assholes and the jerks who are like Stradletter, who are good looking and popular and clearly he, come from like a really yes. rich family. And... He despises people like yes. that. And then there's Ackley, who he doesn't like either, but who's a little bit lower in status, who's like a pimply kid, who has no friends, who has weird breath, and nobody ever wants him around. And Holden doesn't like Ackley. He doesn't like Stradletter, but he also like feels sorry for Ackley that people like Stradletter judge him and won't let him into like the secret fraternity or whatever. It's really weird with Holden in that I feel like for all the trash talk he espouses, he also has this very very weird and very true level of empathy mm -hmm. for like the underdog for um anyone who is low status that that really comes out that you can tell is a very genuine part of his personality but sometimes it just gets really overshadowed by all of the shit he talks mm -hmm. <laughs> but he has these moments like with Ackley or like later that scene with the nuns um and these moments where you can really see his like bleeding heart it's just he stamps it down so much I feel like because of thinking everybody else is phony. He's got this he's got this big um a lot of bravado that he puts up. Yes. And he's even doing it in this where he's like they're phonies and I don't like him. He's irritating, he's an asshole, but I feel sorry for guys like that. Yeah. And then yes. And yes. then he'll say like times he feels sorry for guys like that, but times he never stuck up for him or he never thinks he would. And then he also he does this so many times is he'll make a statement and then, then give himself an out. Like, well, I was going to go up and say hi to her, but then I didn't feel like it. I was going to yeah. give her a call, but then I didn't want to. So he says these grand ideas that he'll back down from, and he'll be like, whatever, I just didn't care. And he'll I do mean, it. he talks about how he should give old Jane Gallagher a buzz for, like, like on and off for... 50 pages and he never calls her. Mm -hmm. He's obsessed with Jane. Like, if that happens, I wrote down as page 30 is the first time he talks about Jane Gallagher. It's this girl he, like, kind of, they, like, held hands and stuff, but yeah. they never really dated. And Stradlater's going to take her out on a date, and it makes Holden so upset. He is so riled up. He stays up all night, waits for him to come back from the date, is obsessed with it. And it's... It's in this weird, like, is it because he's jealous? Is it because he knows that Stradlater is this kind of turd who fools around with girls and goes too far? And he's worried about Jane, his friend. Is it because... But he has those moments where it's like, yeah, but Holden, you never really did anything about it. Yeah, you never asked Jane out. Mm-hmm. Like, you never... Because, I mean, he yeah, he, he met her and he liked her at the country club. Um, yeah, the, the Caulfield family is well off. Um, let's just, yeah, by the way. Yeah. By the way, the Caulfield family is well and off. And you find it out in bits and pieces. Like, like, they really... And you can tell Holden has this kind of weird stigma about the fact that... I mean, they, they're clearly live on in, like, Central Park West. Mm-hmm. Because later when they visit the apartment, it, and with its proximity to the museum and everything like that, like, 
they clearly are uh, like Upper West Side folk. Yeah. So um, Holden's family lives in New York. He goes to school in Pennsylvania because they're the kind of family that sends their sons off to boarding school. Yep. Um, I guess Phoebe will probably go to boarding school too. I don't I'm sure see she why will. not. Yeah. So they're not like socialites. Like they don't strike me as like the glitterati of Manhattan. No, um, but not the dad's rich. a lawyer. They drop that piece of information yeah. at one point. You get the feeling the mom's this like. Maybe a little bit social lady mom. Yeah. I just think of like, they're not fancy gossip girl fancy. No. But they're <laughs> they're still pretty fancy. They've got enough money to send their kids to boarding schools. So. And yeah, and Holden mentions like the quality of his luggage and his bags. And he's got nice bags and nice things. And, and he's kind of embarrassed by them. Like you know, he, feel, he feels bad for kids who don't have not as nice of things. There's one point where he says, he's talking about where he lives and he says, he's talking about these neighbors they have who have the other apartment on his floor. And that to me was like <laughs> a big piece of how much money these people must have because to have, to be in a building where there's only two apartments on one floor in New York City, like at that, that's pretty good. Yeah, so it reminds the, me of like the the Maisel apartment, like yeah, the, the layout yeah, yeah. of that. Um, and so he and yeah, so he's got this older brother DB who lives in California. He has this younger sister Phoebe, who's the baby of the family, who's still at home, obviously, because she's like ten. And then um, when Stradlater's leaving to take Jane Gallagher on a date, he asks Holden, "Hey, will you write this essay for me?" And and <laughs> that part's funny because Holden's like, "Dude, I just got." expelled from school. You want me to write your essay? Right. Um, but then he's like, well, English was my best subject. And uh, he didn't get any indication of what it was supposed to be about, just so it was, just that it was supposed to be descriptive. And he ends up writing this whole essay about his brother Allie's catcher mitt. Oh. And his brother Allie, um, you find died. out, died when Holden was only 13. His brother Allie died from leukemia. And had all this poetry and stuff written on his catcher mitt. And seems like he was a really neat little kid. And that Holden clearly loved him a lot. And he'll do that. He'll drop these like emotional bombs where you can tell this is something that is really sticking with him and really hurt him. He mm -hmm. talks about how the night he died, he went in the garage and broke all the windows with his hand. Had to go to the emergency room. Yet it's clearly not being dealt with. Yeah. Um, there, and there are multiple times in this story that um, that mental health care comes up. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's dad's a psychoanalyst. Says you, you know, you should go see my dad. What was that guy's name? Loose. That he met. Oh for the yeah, drink? yeah, the guy he met for. <laughs> yeah, he's like drinking dry martinis. Right? And he's like twenty-one. <laughs> they're all such pretentious douchebags. I hear you holding these New York City phonies, man. Phonies everywhere. But like. Uh, there's a couple times where they bring up mental health care and people ask him about it or br bring it up to him. And clearly at the end of this book, he is in a mental mm -hmm. health facility. But at, and I feel like he wants it. Like he keeps touching on the subject and wants help and nobody's offering. His parents aren't offering it. They keep sending him to more and more schools. That they're not addressing why he's getting kicked out of school. They're just sending him to new schools. Or the few moments where after this whole bit happens at Pensy and he does leave and he's in the city and how he does keep wanting to make these calls or like he even calls up that loose guy he, mm -hmm. he'll say it's like because I'm just so goddamn lonely like yeah he is clearly this very lonely kid mm -hmm. who is just looking for someone to reach out and talk to clearly I mean he's like yeah I'm gonna call this guy I didn't even like him that much when he went to wherever yeah but, but he'll be around and he could probably meet me for a drink and at least I'd have somebody to talk to yeah, I think he does it with Sally Hayes and his date. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, <laughs> I wrote down that we need to bring back the phrase, gave her the time. That 
He gave her the time in the back seat. Gave her the time. <laughs> well, okay. Um, so, oh Stradletter is definitely so go. is not great when it comes to women. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of date raping going on with that yeah. guy. Yeah. Just um, kind of in general. It seems like the way that a lot of these boys talk about going out with girls, it's like... We know what the reason is that they're going to go out with girls. And the way they talk about it is kind of gross, but it's also... I I understand that it was the time period, and Holden has a lot of disdain for it, too. And you do find out that he's actually a virgin and is all talk. Well, what I love so much about Holden, this is one of the first things I was like, nope, I like you. I like you a lot, little man. And it's when he's talking about Stradletter and all those guys, like giving the girl the time in the back seat and he could hear, you know, the girl saying no and Strad later persuades them and you're like, what you just described is date rape Holden Caulfield. Yeah. And then he goes on about his dates and he's like, when a girl tells me to stop, I stop. And he's like, I'm mad about my, I'm mad at myself later because I didn't do it, but I always stop when they say no. And I'm I'm like, you're doing the right thing and society's telling you you're doing the wrong thing, that you're not being a man enough to make a girl have sex with you in the backseat of the car. Yeah, it is. It's these very weird moments of like, he feels bad about the fact that he's not persuading girls to go further with him because that's what everybody else is doing. He's being a good person. But he is being, yeah. No, you're right. That did make me feel like you go hold it. At least you're not being a total asshole. And I felt bad for him because he's the guy, like, he's actually soft and kind and doesn't doesn't want to force a girl to do something. Yeah, so Holden is actually being respectful and respectful of women. Mm-hmm. And even though a lot of things he says are disrespectful, he's respecting boundaries and saying no when they say no. And society is like, well, you're a pussy then. Yeah, and he says plenty of things about how girls are dumb and there's only one reason for girls to be around. So, like, he still has his moments, but at mm-hmm. least he's not date raping girls so hey yay thanks Holden we appreciate that um and so Stradlater does come back from a uh date with Jane Gallagher Holden tries to get him to talk they end up getting in a fist fight and Holden like gets busted up and he's like you know what I'm out of here peace out Penzi Penzi goodbye and goes to take a train um and there's too many details of his meandering night that I love. Like, his conversation with the older woman on the train. I loved that scene. I went... Some of our favorite yeah. parts. That scene was enjoyable. Um, so, the, the gist of the summary, because I, I think we should jump into favorite parts, because... Yeah. The thing about this book is that you can do a summary of Charlotte's Web, and you're like, and then they went to the fair, and then the Charlotte died, and then baby yeah. spiders. But this, just every moment of plot spirals into a deeper sort of dive of the story. Right. It's Holden recounting two days of being drunk and being drunk for a lot of it in in New York City. So basically trying to do a plot summary of that is rambly at best. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a great um, idea. What were some of your favorite So wait, parts? I want to get the gist of the quick quick uh, the gist of the plot. Yeah, so basically the wrap up of the plot is he does go to, he takes train to New York. He stays at a CD hotel. He tries to get a prostitute that does not go well. He ends up going out for drinks. Um, he meets up with some folks. He visits his sister. And at the end, his parents do catch him, and he is sent to a mental institution. That's yeah. the plot of Catching the Rye. There you go. That's a quick... There you go. 60-second summary. But, but... No, like... Everything is so summary. much deeper. Exactly. Um, so, as far as favorite characters that we meet, we talk about Holden, we talk about Stradletter, Ackley. 
um, the mom on the train. He goes to two of his professors' houses, which I find so interesting. Yeah. Um, and he knows their wives. Like, they yeah, for know someone him. being expelled from so many schools, he got gets oddly close with certain professors. Yeah, and they like know him well, and I guess they probably knew his brother too. But if he's getting suspelled, suspended from school or expelled from school to school, his, I feel like DB didn't get expelled. So DB just went to one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, DB made it all the way through one school. That's why he's the good son. Mm-hmm. No, it's, uh, yeah, Mrs. Morrow on the train. Um, oh, I love her. And the funny thing with that is, is he starts it off with a lie and tells her he's this other kid that her actual son really knows. And then he immediately regrets that he lied to her because he feels like she was a nice woman. And this is just a typical Holden moment of him lying and then immediately being like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that, but still carrying on with the lies. Yeah. Which well, is something he does a lot. I think it has to do with, he puts up this false front of a lie just to be like clever or whatever, I'm going to trick her or I don't really feel like saying my name. And whatever false front that he puts up, whether it's a lie about his identity or there's some sort of douchey statement he makes, behind it he suddenly wants to have this connection and he's unable to have this human connection because he told a lie. Exactly. He, like, actually wants to know Mrs. Morrow, and he can't because he lied about his fucking name. I wrote down that he says a really great line, mothers are all slightly insane. Nailed Probably it. true, especially at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then he gets to that shitty hotel, and I also thought the uh, the scene with where he gets hoodwinked by Maurice, the elevator guy who is also, like, a pimp on the side, yeah, it's a sad scene, but it's also really fun. The way it's written is very slapsticky. It's actually very funny to read. Um, basically, you know, Holden comes back for the night, and this elevator guy is like, "Hey, man, you want to show a good time? I could send a girl to your room." Because everyone thinks he looks older. Five bucks for a throw, fifteen fifteen bucks till morning. And so he's like, "I'll just take the throw." Great. Sends this prostitute to his room. This woman named Sunny. Holden finds out that he. He discovers that he's not even interested in having sex with her anymore. He just really wants someone to talk to. So it's kind of sad. Um, goes to pay her five bucks, and she's like, no, it's ten. And he said, nope, they told me five. Pays her the five. She leaves. Well, then Maurice comes back, and they're demanding five more dollars from him, and it turns into this whole scuffle. And it's just, it's sad and funny, and you feel bad for him, but it's also like, Holden, what did you think was going to happen? It's it's a crazy scene. You feel bad for him, but from the get-go, you're like, don't, don't, don't take that. Don't Dude, you're in no. over your head. But this is one of those moments, too, where I think you see, like, you think you're much more of an adult than you actually are, Holden. Mm-hmm. Like, this, <laughs> you know? Anyone should be able to tell you that the seedy-ass hotel you're staying at is not a great place to pick up a reasonably priced prostitute. No. Because they're going to change the price on you, and then they're going to beat the shit out of you. Exactly. You knew it from the get-go. Right. And you were unable to warn him because he is a character in a book and he's not a real person. And you would think they would have cut him a deal because he didn't actually have sex with her, but no, apparently that makes them want more money. Yes, you still have to pay ten bucks to not have sex with a prostitute. <laughs> um... So speaking of Holden just going around spending money left and right, he's taken a lot of cabs all around New York, and every time he takes a cab, he's like, shouldn't have taken a cab, I need to conserve my money. But I took it anyway. (laughs) So he's going through money like it's water. Yeah. Um, And he sets a date with old Sally Hayes. Haynes or Hayes? Hayes. Hayes. Good old Sally Hayes. Someone he used to go around with a little bit back home, and, um... And clearly... He's like, yeah, I used to go around with her a little bit, but then there's also the fact that they talked on the phone and she, she wanted him to come help trim the Christmas tree. 
Like that feels like a very boyfriendy thing yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. And she asks him a lot. Yeah, and then oh, come Shimmer Street, come Sally, tree. Sally, oh, did do it. Um, so the date starts. They have a decent date, and then it takes a turn because Holden starts drinking and and swearing a lot as he is apt to do, and old Sally Hayes doesn't care for that. She does she eventually not enjoy it, and then he tells her she's a pain in the ass. Oh, and she, that's <laughs> that like, ends it. I like that that's like, she's like, no boy's ever said that to me before. And it was like, well, you, she sounds like a pain in the ass. <laughs> Sally, I have a feeling you're going to be hearing that a lot. Queen of the phonies. Queen of the phonies, mm. Sally Hayes. Everybody in this book is a phony um, or crummy. And I just love the way he spells both of those words. Although I very much enjoy that Sonny the prostitute was the one who got to say crumbum. Yeah, she's the one who called him a crumbum. Um, I enjoyed that. Uh, we do find out that one of the things Holden Caulfield actually liked is the book The Great Gatsby. Which was delightful. Um, he got a kick out of him calling people old sport. Which <laughs> so did we, Holden. So did we. And Holden, where old sport is Gatsby's catchphrase, crummy phony is yours, and it's just nice that you both have something in common. And we also know that he likes, he very much likes his little sister Phoebe. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the buildup is... Um, he, he really wants to call her. He really wants to see her, but he knows he can't call the house because that would alert his parents to the fact that he's out early. So, um, after his time and shenanigans in, in the city are done, he decides it's finally time to go to, uh, see Phoebe and his parents aren't home because they're at a party in Connecticut, but it's okay. Cause the live-in maid is there to watch her. That's another reason I knew they were rich. I was like, they have a live-in mate. They have a live-in mate. Um, and the elevator boy, luckily it was the night shift guy, and he didn't recognize Holden yes. or whatever. You're like, oh, you have an elevator boy. Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, Holden finally sneaks into his little sister's room, which is something that could be creepy, but it's Holden, so it's not. And his affection for her really is genuinely very sweet. Um, she's 10 years old. She sounds like she's a neat little kid. He, like, flips through her journal before he wakes her up, and she's writing Phoebe Weatherfield Caulfield. And he's like, her middle name is Josephine. Yeah. What is she talking about? Which, Which by the way, little women, maybe. Good job. Um, and, uh, but then he wakes her up, and she is very excited to see him. And uh, they just start having a talk. He finds out she's going to play Benedict Arnold in the school play. Again, adorable. Phoebe is adorable. And I like that she asks Holden, she's like, I think this is my favorite part of the book, and she was like, what do you like? <sighs> this, this is that moment. This is that paragraph mm -hmm. I was talking about. Because, yeah, Phoebe asks him, what is, he, you know, you're complaining all of the time. What is something you actually like? A 10-year-old child says this to him, astute. And he immediately, in his mind, starts thinking about, a moment where a kid at one of his other schools that he got expelled from committed suicide. <laughs> I don't know where the, and to me, that was where I really connected that so much of his inability to like anything is rooted clearly in these painful incidents of his brother's death. And now this one we're learning about that he, I think it has crushed his ability to like anything. Mm -hmm. Oh well, yeah, because the kid who died in the turtleneck was bullied. James Castle. James Castle wouldn't wouldn't take it back. He said something about another kid. He called another kid conceited, and he wouldn't take it back. And he was like a skinny little kid. And the other boys went into his room and tried to force him to take it back. James Castle wouldn't. They beat the shit out of him, and he still wouldn't take it back. And to escape from the bullies that locked him in his own room with them, he jumped out the window to his death. 
And you're like, well, no shit, Holden. No wonder you have all these strong feelings about the, the underdog and these phony bullies. Um, because, yeah, you're watching all these people get picked on. And it was... And picked on so much that he died? It's so sad. It's awful in the way he describes it. The way he describes him jumping out the window and then looking down and seeing him all over. You know, it's just really sad. But yeah, she asks him um, what he likes, and he says, one thing I like a lot or just one thing I like? You like a lot. All right, I said, but the trouble was I couldn't concentrate. And he talks about all he could think about were those two nuns, and then he says, and then this boy I knew at Elkton Hills. Mm -hmm. And he immediately goes into this descriptive paragraph about what happens with him and the suicide, and then it cuts back to Phoebe saying, you can't even think of one thing. So it's a really interesting moment. Yeah, and he's able to be like, I like hanging out with you and horsing around. And Phoebe's like, that's not a thing. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, and so he decides he's got to get out of the house because they hear um, the parents coming home from the party. And uh, Phoebe's trying to get him to stay, but he's like, no, I can't stay here yet. They can't know I'm back. Um, so he ends up going and calling this former teacher of his, Mr. Antolini, Antolini? Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Antolini. And he says, yeah, come on over. My wife and I are up and we know you. Um, and so he goes, but why I wanted to get to this part was this. This is one of those moments where, do you think this incident really happened the way that it did? Or do you think this is one of those moments where Holden's embellishing? I... It's very hard to tell. He kind of illustrates it as that this teacher makes a pass at him when he's sleeping. And it's it's just really hard to tell. I believe him. Yeah. But I don't know. And I definitely get a creepy vibe from the way he describes the teacher. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely drinking heavily and waking up and patting him on the head in the middle of the night. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's creepy and weird. But was it more than that? And Holden didn't want to say it? Or did it not happen in that way? I don't know. It, it's just a definitely unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. And it clearly shook him up because he left. He didn't go back to that teacher's apartment. Yeah. Um, but you're like, how much of that is the fact that you were just out on like drinking and you're 17 years old and you're also super depressed and you don't trust anyone? Um, yeah, because was this more of a parental or like father figure type of move on the teacher's part? Yeah. I don't, you don't know. Or did he get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and go, that's my student. I wish him well. I'm going to pat him on the head. Oh, one thing we didn't touch on, where the title comes from. Oh, right. The body meets a body, or a body yeah, catch a body coming through the rock. Yeah. Uh, he, he hears it earlier, this little kid's reciting it when he's just walking down the street in New York. Um, although it turns out he's reciting it wrong, and then Phoebe's the one who points out to him. Um, it's catch a body. Meet a body. It's a, po it's meet a body. <laughs> it's a poem. Um, but Holden explains to her that he wants to be this person. Like if all these little kids are playing in this field of rye or whatever, I want to be the person who catches them if they go to start to fall off a cliff. This is what Holden's desire is with yeah. what he wants to be doing with his life. He just wants to care for people. Yeah. And, like, keep them from hurting themselves. Like, I feel like he has no no hopes for himself that he'll do anything because he doesn't ever want to do anything. Like, yeah. I don't feel like he has any ambition, but I feel like he just wants to catch people who are going to topple over the edge. Yeah. And you're like, well, 
Uh, Isn't you, that wild? Because that's you, what he needs so much. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you wish you had that person yeah. to do the same for you? Yeah. Um, I think my favorite part is when he took Sally Hayes to the theater, and it was the Lunts. <laughs> the Lunts. Just because he kept talking about how much he hates actors and how he needs to read the play because it feels too phony when an actor's doing that it. That paragraph about actors is priceless. Uh, um, please find that. I wrote down when it was, but I forget. Um, that Yeah, that whole section. Oh, page 117. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that that gave me a kick. Uh, <laughs> um, I also I really love uh, the ending, his last scene with Phoebe when um, they meet up and they have a little. She he's he tells her he's going to be leaving town. She wants to go with him. He ends up saying, "Never mind, I'm going to stay. Let's go to the zoo." They go to the Central Park Zoo, and she rides the carousel, and he's just watching her, and he talks about how happy he is in that moment that he's just watching his little sister ride this carousel and it's it's a very sweet um wrap up and you know that after this he's gonna go home and see his parents and the shit's gonna hit the fan but you get this nice moment before that happens and we don't see that happen that's pretty much the end of the book yeah the epilogue picks up these like uh i went home i got sick i got sent out here and that's pretty much, he just kind of glosses right over it and doesn't mm-hmm. dive into it. And I like that we don't have to see it, because we all can kind of think about how bad it is going to be when he gets home and yeah. how much trouble this kid is in. And if this was finally the point that pushed his parents to send him somewhere, yeah. then it must, it, it was bad. Well, it's something, something's very wrong with Holden mm-hmm. Caulfield, because like, oh, he passes much. out towards the end of the book, he yeah. hurts his arm a little bit. I mean, and it, he's, the kid smokes like a chimney. His smokes like a chimney. Destroyed. He's drinking a ton. He's got anxiety and depression and... You're like clearly he's having panic attacks. Like he definitely needs to be taken care of. I hope they found the correct cocktail or prescription yeah. drugs that uh, Holden Caulfield does. And they did not needs. need to give him electroshock because it is the 1940s, 50s oh, when this yeah. happened. So oh, that's true. I don't. You hope that. you hope his institution isn't super duper scary. Um, who were some of your favorite characters? Oh, I I liked Sally Hayes, the queen of the phonies. Um, <laughs> she's so silly. She's a dipshit. Um. I think Holden's my favorite. I yeah. really, really loved him. Um, and I'm interested in what he has to say, and I like his digressions, and I like his... I understand his worldview. It yeah. might be just because I'm around teenage boys too much. That's true. But it's I'm a very like, specific... It's an interesting mindset, and one that's hard to tap into. I just feel... I feel for him. Yeah. I was like, I see yeah. you. I see what you're trying to do and the shit you're putting on top of it, and I'm so sorry for you, buddy. I'm so very sorry for you. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Phoebe. I think she's my favorite. She's great. She's a great little kid. Like, you see why he talks, says that about her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and I found myself thinking of, like, what must her perspective of this family and this life be like? Um, she's the last one now left in this house. She keeps seeing her brother get expelled. Her other older brother left. One of her brothers died. And she's this smart, little, astute kid who's playing Benedict Arnold in the school play. Yeah, she's she's miraculously well-adjusted mm-hmm. uh, for being in this family. Yeah, and who knows? That might change But when she becomes a teenager, but we'll see. Um, my sucks here Asmar Award mm. probably goes to Stradlater, just because he was a fucking turd, and I really don't like to think about what direction his life was going in, if this is how he treats people. Not no. A fan. Yeah, no, he's an asshole. Uh, he gets my sucks to your Asmar Award, too. He's just going to grow up to be an asshole, and he's going to have kids who are baby assholes. Oh, he's going to turn into Brent on the good place. Oh, he is. He's gonna be, maybe he'll die on his own plane. 
That sounds good. Yeah. Bye, Stradliner. <laughs> um, it wasn't in any other media. Mm. You cannot find a version of this in any other thing because there isn't one, which is very weird. But kind of great. It's kind of great. It's, it was meant to be a book, and we, because of Salinger, we have to allow it to just be a book. And that's cool. That Not is my disquestion for you, though. Mm -hmm. um, who would you cast as Holden Caulfield if you had to? I would cast the kid from End of the Fucking World, uh, who plays James, and I'm going to Google his name right now. I love him in that show. He's a little Brit, so not American, but who would you cast? Um, I would have, you know, because of who I am and my love of Leonardo DiCaprio, I think he could have played, <laughs> I think he could have played this when he was young. Like, I think if they, like, shaved his head and got, like, some... Like, he could have played angsty Holden. He totally could have. <laughs> uh, the name of my... Oh, his kid is Alex Lothar, and he was on End of the Fucking World and that episode of Black Mirror where they had to run errands because they were being blackmailed, and he got oh, watching Kitty Porn. right, right, right. It's that kid. Cool. Yes. Um, present day, though, I think the kid from um, Stranger Things, who uh, is the one that dates Eleven, and now he's, like, in lots oh, okay. of stuff. I can see that. I think if we gave him some gray patches in his hair and a hunting hat, I think he could do it. What about a young John Mulaney? Oh, man. So this is my new theory, is that this family is the Mulaney's. I would love to know how John Mulaney feels about this book. Comedian John Mulaney, if you're listening, can you let us know if this was what your life was like growing up? Minus People are probably some of the terrible things. Tweet us. Be like, he talked about this in a special. Have you guys not watched Mulaney Man? We'll be like, no, we didn't. <laughs> Thanks, Dix. What's your disquestion? My disquestion is, um, out of all the books we've read, who do you think would get along with Holden Caulfield? Who would be his friend? Ooh, that's a great one. I feel like he'd have better luck having a female friend, and I really think someone like Joe March would maybe be able to crack the Holden Caulfield code. I was going to say Charlotte from Charlotte's Web. Oh. Just helping him out. He walks in and just is radiant in his room, and he's yeah. like, thanks, Charlotte. She's like, it's <laughs> phony. She writes phony in her web. <laughs> I want to see that. She's written in a spider web. Phony. Oh, my God. He'd, he'd dig that. Uh. He'd dig that. Um... Yeah, but I think you'd get along with Joe. Joe would just smack him around. Yeah, a lot. she'd be like, "Knock your shit off, man." Knock your maybe, but they, I wonder if like he hung out with the March family. If then like Beth would, <laughs> Beth would crack him, and then Beth would die, and then it would just be this whole fucking spiral More that trauma. gets worse and More worse trauma. and worse. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I I love Holden's hat. I mentioned that in my my summary. Yes, he's he's, he's a deer hunting hat, but it's a people hunting hat. I hunt people in this hat, and I'm yeah. like, that that does not fly in 2020. That's not a good creepy as fuck. joke, but back then, back then, I I kind of love it. Like it's sort, it's dark and weird, and it's exactly what his weird teenage brain is coming up with. Yeah, um, and it's so symbolic of this book. People who know this book associate that red hunting cap for sure. So why did we have to read this? I read this really cheesy quote that somebody who wrote like a big analysis of this book was mm -hmm. um, that that reading this book. As a teenager is important because it it teaches you that you're going to have to let go of childhood innocence, and so uh, it's important to read this book at that age because then it prepares you for that. I don't necessarily go so into that, but I do think that it's imp it's a good um, 
it's a good book to read to get more into that mindset of what could be happening to you when you're a teenager. I think it's something that you can connect to. Well, sort of like outsiders, where they it's yeah. interesting to them because it's a good narrative voice for them. Could um, not picture Holden Caulfield hanging out with No, they would outsiders. not. They, I mean, in this too, like, Pony, Vo- Pony Boy's voice was so much more simple yeah. than Holden's. Yeah. Um, but I think it's because kids will relate to it because it's about their age, but it's not for them. No. It was not written for them. No. Um, and... Yeah, yeah, I would teach it for narrative and for realistic character and for unreliable narrator. Yeah, and I guess writing from that first-person perspective, it's a good example of that. And you can also talk about symbolism. All that shit is there. Like, it is symbolic as fuck. I mean, and I did have to... I was assigned to read it in high school. Mm -hmm. And then I read it again in college just because... But, I mean, it was one that was required for me. Was it required for you? Um, I don't think so. I don't know if I'm... I say that a lot on this podcast, which makes me feel like I took remedial English. Like, what did I actually have to read? Um, but this was not required for me, and I read it on my own, and I really loved it. And now reading it again as an adult, I like it even more. Yeah. Um, I just think it's it's a great example of point of view. The way that Holden Caulfield sees the world is very different than the way Ponyboy Curtis sees the world, or yes. the Lord of the Flies boys, or whatever. And this, they were. This is similar times, because mm-hmm. Outsiders was early fifties, wasn't yep. it? That it came out. Yep. Yep. So yeah, similar people, and just the complications of the human brain, and mm-hmm. the fact that Salinger dives in there. He yeah. goes real deep into Holden's brain. It's true, and he wasn't afraid to show that what can happen to anybody's brain, but. In, especially in adolescent, when they're not dealing with um, certain traumas they experience. And these were also kids who, we didn't even touch on the war or anything, but these were also, like, it's shocking to me when I read something from this mindset and think this is the age of kids that were getting sent off to war. Yeah, DB was in the war, and he's, yeah. the army was just terrible, and he's, the army was, like, worse than the Nazis. He's, like, assholes in both armies, and you're yeah. like, Jesus. So... But please, if you have any more thoughts, we know this is one that a lot of people wanted to discuss. Please uh, tweet at us, hashtag RRCatcher, um, or you can find us on Instagram and, and send us any comments, REQ Readcast. Uh, we would love to continue the discussion on this one. Yeah, and uh, next up we're going to read The Bell Jar, which a lot of people have actually called Catcher in the Rye for, for girls. Yeah. With a female companion to Catcher in the Rye, so we kind of wanted to put those back to back. Yeah, we figured we may as well go from Holden Caulfield to Sil- Sylvia Plath, and then we're going to really want to go jump off a roof. Yep, of, this is going to be real. the end of February. <laughs> Real sad start to 2020. No, um, but it's good. It's, I think it's going to be good to have a, a female perspective, too. Um, yeah, so I guess all we can do is uh, stay gold, old Phoebe. <laughs> stay gold, Sally Hayes, you queen of the phonies. <laughs> stay gold, Stradletter, and stay out of prison. Stay gold, Mrs. Morrow. I hope you uh, made it home safely on that train. <laughs> stay gold, Sonny the prostitute. I'm sorry about your life choices. <laughs> stay gold, you two nuns at breakfast who got money from Holden. <laughs> <laughs> stay gold, Lauren. Stay gold, Jessica. Oh, wait, we didn't say stay gold to Holden. Stay gold, Holden. Stay gold, Holden. You goddamn son of a bitch. You crummy phony. <laughs> All right, stay gold, bookworms. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay, Stay gold, gold, bookworms! bookworms.